Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Brazos Point Living Room. As usual, we've got the three amigos. I'm Randy. I'm Joseph. And I'm Michelle. And we are so glad that you are here with us. Yeah, I am excited this week. <laughs> we have been in the Gospel of John for so young. So, so young. <laughs> How young? For, <laughs> for so long. Pretty darn long. Yeah. Uh, and we are finally getting to the best part <laughs> of the resurrection. Uh, and especially last week on the crucifixion, it's like, you know, I want to get to the good part. <laughs> right. It's hard to do crucifixion without immediately doing resurrection. Right? <laughs> uh, but I am excited and I'm looking forward to celebrating Easter. It will be good. And if this is your first time listening, we want to welcome you to the Brazos Point Living Room, where we turn Sunday's message into conversations that are encouraging, challenging, and always fun along the way. So, welcome. So, as we jump in, clearly, I think this is one of the <laughs> easiest ties. What is the best unexpected news you have ever received? It's 50 Cent Wing Night. <laughs> <laughs> unexpected. That was unexpected. You weren't looking for that. <laughs> Buy one, get one, chicken fried steak. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to think. Michelle? I actually do have one. The year was 2017, and the event was Ladies' Night. And I had been interested in Jeff Masterson for a while, and he volunteered in the sound booth. And David King and Andrew McKay were very much my wingmen on this situation. And I had mentioned to Jeff, because we were friends at the time, that, you know, Ladies' Night was coming up that Friday. And he said, oh, I guess I'm not working that. They didn't ask me to be in the sound booth. And I was like, yeah, I guess not. And then the next week, Andrew and David and I had to go run an errand, I think, for Servolution. And so we were all in the car together. And David and Andrew told me that Jeff had reached out to them and asked if he could work in the sound booth for ladies' night. Ain't nobody do that. And I was like, oh, seriously? And I mean, the three of us were like totally like getting giddy and freaked out that mm. Jeff Masterson might actually also be interested in me. <laughs> so for those who are listening who don't know... Jeff uh, does her husband. Sorry, the mask is Yeah, Jeff, Jeff turned out to be her husband. Yes. <laughs> He's so excited about this, just Jeff, who would go on to marry Michelle. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. How many years? This summer will be five. Wow. So that was the beginning of 2017. We started dating yeah. later that year. And honestly, that speaks to my best unexpected news ever. It was that Michelle was getting married. <laughs> <laughs> you and everyone else, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I was going to say, it's so funny that her unexpected news is like romantic and like, <laughs> and yours was straight to chicken wings. <laughs> You're right. I knew it was 50 Cent Wing. That's romantic, too. <laughs> For I, so. I really don't. I can't think of anything, though. Like, nothing um, significant pops never out. Never surprised. My kids weren't surprises. My romance wasn't a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it was very well planned. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you got? Uh, when I was, like, in the third grade, uh, one day... Uh, somebody came up to me and they said, Hey, they called your name on the intercom this morning when they were doing announcements. And I, 
I guess was late or had missed it. And they're like, you need to go up to the office. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. You know, as a kid, you get sent to the office and you're just like, doom. You're, I thought I was in trouble for some reason. <laughs> and I get there and they were like, hey, you actually want our drawing." And I was like, I didn't know I entered a drawing. <laughs> and they said, it's like for perfect attendance. And I was like, oh, cool. So they gave me like a little uh, coupon deal. And I was like, okay. They're like, yeah. And as a kid, you don't understand all the details. It's like something, something, something. You take it to the store. And I was like, okay. So I go to my dad when I got picked up. I told him about it. I gave him this thing. <clears throat> go to Academy. I leave with a bike. What? Yeah. That is. It was like a voucher for a brand new wow. bike. Was, I was still stuck on you had perfect attendance. <laughs> <laughs> perfect attendance isn't, as a third grader, uh, your own choice. Yeah, right. <laughs> Danes never have perfect attendance. It, it must have do. been for like a semester or half the year or something. Wow, a bike. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm going even back into childhood and I still don't have anything. And I wonder if it's because I don't like surprises. That's probably I don't like surprises. I like good news. (laughs) But I don't like surprises. Well, clearly, the reason we're talking about unexpected good news is because that is exactly what Easter is all about. Uh, As we pick up in John chapter 20, we see that Mary Magdalene uh, goes to the tomb uh, that they have just placed Jesus in just a few days prior. And as she goes, expecting to find a dead body there, um, she receives the most unexpected news, and she finds that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is gone. Uh, and so, you know, if we if we continue to read, we see that she immediately goes and tells Peter and John. She tells them the good news she has just found that they he's, he is gone, uh, and then they run as well to go and find um, out for themselves. So, my first question to you guys is: Who's faster? Peter or John? (laughs) (laughs) It's John. It's clearly John. Oh, yeah. This part's funny. If you read the Gospel of John, uh, it's written by uh, the disciple John who's in the story, but he only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when you get here, you see that it says that as soon as they find out, verse 4, both of them were running together. So, they both took off immediately. But John goes on to tell us that the other disciple... He's referring to himself, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> Actually, Joseph, I think of you and I like Peter and John. You're John. You're just a little bit faster, but man, I'll cut your ear off. A little, a little bit. bit. You're a little faster, but I'll cut your ear off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just a funny note in there that John just chose to say, hey, when we found out, we took off at the same time running together. But Yo, maybe we're Peter, John, and Mary. Aww. The fast <laughs> I don't give us that much credit. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my real question is, Ben, how do you think you would respond if you were in the position of Mary, Peter, and John and discovered the empty tomb? Just a few days prior, they had placed Jesus's body and buried him. Man, I would hope to respond like Mary, um, because I think what you see in this powerful narrative is just how deeply she loves Jesus. And, and and ultimately, that's why she's coming to the, the grave expecting his body, like even though things have not gone the way she hoped uh, and, and she's grieved, she's coming out of love. And so mm-hmm. the rest that follows is so absolutely unexpected because she's expecting to be there to mourn uh, the dead Jesus and she finds out that he's alive. But it's all just a deep response of love. 
Mm. Yeah, and I think if you're Mary, I think I think you respond the way she did. I think you can't wait to get to Jesus's other followers who you have been walking life with and following Jesus with and then mourning Jesus with. You can't wait to get to them and tell them the good news. I do kind of wonder, though, I mean, Peter and John took off running, but I think it would be maybe a little more unbelievable to receive that news from another human <laughs> than receiving that news, you know, supernaturally. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think, man, if I'm Peter, as, as we've already established, and like I'm winded. Yeah, I'm winded. Too. I'm like, you know, like my, my brain is a little oxygen deprived. And so I'm like, he's a what? He's a what? He's a, he's a, he's alive. <laughs> Come help me, Jesus. I'm dying. Uh, it's, it's interesting that Mary's first, First thought clearly she doesn't fully understand it's just empty so she says they've taken him and we mm-hmm. don't know where they've laid him but they all regardless take off running and i think john kind of give gives peter a little credit because john says i beat him to the tomb but he <laughs> says uh that he did not go in that Simon was the first one. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he came in huffing and puffing. <laughs> probably when he decided to add the outran part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. Simon's brave, yeah. but I'm fast. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Mary's loving it. Simon's brave, but I'm quick afoot. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, it's just interesting to put our put ourselves in their shoes. How would we have responded? And they are just confused, uh, excited, and just there's a lot going on there. But it says that they saw and believed, which is so cool. When you think about Mary, you know, her reaction to the empty tomb is like, what have they done with his body? Mm -hmm. They have just seen him mocked Mm -hmm. in life Mm -hmm. and in death beyond Mm -hmm. what I think we really even can picture and understand. And so uh, you can imagine she's just picturing, oh, great. Now they've taken his body and they've they've made a mockery of his dead body. That's the much more believable thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, verse nine will tell us. It says that when the two disciples, Peter and, and John, uh, went into the tomb, they saw and believed. But verse 9, they, they're still not quite sure what is going on. It says, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. And so they see, they believe the tomb is empty, but they have do not fully understand the full picture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And I also want to read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 16 and 17. It says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ had not been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So my question is, why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? And what did it accomplish? I think it's so important to look at and understand all of the significance of the crucifixion and all of the significance of the resurrection and all that's accomplished on the cross and all that's accomplished in the empty tomb. Uh, and to look at them individually and deeply is, is so important, but also recognizing that you cannot separate the two. Like all that's accomplished on the cross doesn't get accomplished if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead because ultimately then he's just another person. He's exactly who the world thought him to be instead of who he claimed to be. And so like this verse says, man, it's, it's just all absolutely futile if Jesus isn't raised from the dead because the resurrection that, that shows the power of God, the absolute victory over death and sin mm-hmm. is in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have that, then we have just another crucified man, mm-hmm. just like the people on his left and his right. Mm-hmm. Just another crucified man. And even in a way, just another sacrifice, like even all of the animals that have been sacrificed it to that point. 
you know, the the once and for allness comes with the resurrection. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Uh, I love to just be reminded too that Jesus claims so much about himself. And one of the things he, if they did not see at the time, but Jesus clearly told them what was going to happen, that he was going to die. And after three days, he was going to come back to life. And they just were confused and didn't understand exactly what he meant. Uh, But this is proof. And and by him coming back to life and doing this, he validates every other claim he ever made. It's fascinating to, to me too. Like right now in my Bible reading, I'm in Acts. And so seeing like, the confusion in Peter in these moments and how Ooh. quickly that moves and transforms on the other side of Pentecost mm-hmm. and seeing Peter preaching mm-hmm. and then seeing Peter, you know, before uh, the Jewish officials making the claims from the Old Testament, seeing Peter uh, with Cornelius, like it's amazing to see that immediate transformation yeah. that I think That's has true. everything to do with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because yeah. Because we see a more confident Peter on the other side of the resurrection than we do when he was literally walking alongside Jesus. Well, but and and you you, you know you you look at Peter before the crucifixion, and over and over again you see this personality that's very impetuant, very yeah. uh, you know he, he's he's the first one to stand up and to do anything right. And so seeing God take that part of who He naturally is, mm-hmm. putting it with the clarity of the resurrection and the empowering of the Spirit, and taking all that that gift mix, yeah. and, and then you see. God using Peter powerfully as an apostle. It's like he kind of shifts from wanting to prove himself to Mm. wanting to To prove prove Jesus. Yeah, Yeah. that's exactly right. In fact, that was one of the things I just read. Like, it's that moment where they do a a miracle, Mm -hmm. and he's like, "No, no, no! You're you're bowing at the wrong. I'm just a man. Yeah, right. Like this is, or is that Paul? And that's a, or is it both? I think it's all of them, honestly. Yeah, it's everybody. <laughs> they, they do such crazy things that people want to worship them, and they're like, no. And that is a different Peter than yep. the one yeah. pre-resurrection. Yeah. But I bet he's still slow. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I think he got it. Yeah, I don't Well, with the Holy Spirit, Randy. <laughs> well, Randy's got the Holy That's Spirit. That's not been my experience. <laughs> right, I mean. Oh, you should have seen me before I accepted Christ. I was much slower. <laughs> None of that is true. I don't think you are. None of that is true. Uh, you should have seen me before I lost 40 pounds. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the, that makes me uh, immediately think of what we're going next. Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 11, the Apostle Paul writes, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. The Apostle Paul is telling us that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, the reason why the tomb is empty, now lives in every person who follows Jesus. That's a huge and significant claim. So, my question is just for us, what's the significance of what he's saying, that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us? I think it's of untold significance, and honestly, I think it's... uh I don't know the right way to say it, but maybe like wildly under leveraged and under realized mm. in our life, you know, yeah. like, man, the resurrection power that, that God has. And we sing songs that talk about resurrection power, but recognize that we live it. You know, uh, I think, I think we just don't fully understand it. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of mulling this over cause I'm thinking about how 
Jesus wasn't the only person who was ever resurrected. Like Jesus resurrected Lazarus. Like we we saw this happen, but it was Jesus's spirit who also resurrected Lazarus. So we don't have Lazarus's spirit living inside us as the man who was resurrected, but now we've got Jesus who was both resurrected and the one who did the resurrecting living inside us. And to me that's kind of the once and for allness of the sacrifice being the sacrificer and then the redeemer of yeah. it all. Like it's he's all of that. Well and that takes me back to our conversation on Lazarus, you know, and I remember us talking about thinking thinking about the reality that Lazarus ultimately did die a permanent physical yes. death, you know? And so and that's true for us too. We will ultimately die a permanent physical death. Um, but that that doesn't mean that we don't experience the resurrection power, you mm-hmm. know? And like Lazarus did too. Um, in in life, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm. I like Randy the point you made that it's kind of untapped in some ways, or we don't fully understand the significance of it. Uh, and I just I think that's so true. I think when I read this moment, this is the the foundation of our faith is that there is an empty tomb and Jesus is alive. <clears throat> and I just think, man, I am tied to that moment. As a follower of Jesus, I am tied to that moment and not just in belief that I believe it happened, that the same spirit that did that is in me. And I just think, man, I just, I need to dwell on that more. Mm-hmm. I need to be reminded of that, that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't believe that I'm going to be doing those same things that Jesus did necessarily, but that, that power of God working in me that can change who I am. Um, is, is in me. Well, and I think it's so important in this conversation to remember that the, the presence and the power of the Spirit doesn't mean that there won't be death, there won't be struggle, there won't mm-hmm. be hurts, right. that everything will be healed. That's not what it means, right? Like, I go back to what I'm reading in Acts right now, and I'm looking at Paul, you know, and Paul's conversion uh, to, to Christ and to Christianity. And what God says is, not only am I going to choose this guy to be the apostle to the Gentiles, but he says, he t- basically says, I'm going to take this guy who's battling against the birth of the church, and I'm going to show him through his own struggle what it is to live in Christ. And, uh, and so it says from the very beginning that Paul's going to experience all the struggles that we see Paul then turn around and live out. Um, but man, you want to talk about somebody that, that understands the resurrection power, mm-hmm. you know, in spite of the fact that he still experienced really, really rough earthly hardships, uh, the resurrection power and the Spirit of God in him did incredible things. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in my Lent study right now, you know, of course this week we're reading through the week leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection and um, today's reading I think I'm a day behind but today's reading was about Jesus promising his presence and so that's what this makes me think about is that you know like Randy said the promise isn't that that hardship goes away that suffering goes away and sometimes we want to think that that's the promise but the promise is that he's with us in that and that that power is in us in the midst of those hardships and that's something we've talked about so many times walking through john that that that's that's the promise that we can find our hope in that we can hold on to is that he's with us and he didn't say if you face trials he said when you face trials 
And this whole conversation reminds me of one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite promises, and honestly, like something I pray over people more often than probably any other verse. Uh, if you see me at the prayer corner on a Sunday morning, it's a good chance I'm praying this over someone. It's the, the, the promise that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And recognizing, yeah, there is an enemy, but uh, God's power and glory is unmatched, and the enemy is woefully uh, inferior, mm. right? And mm-hmm. so recognizing, I think we're so good at recognizing the enemy's power, mm-hmm. but are we good at recognizing, like you were saying, Joseph, like tapping into realizing the reality, greater is he that is in us. Mm. Like the greatest, the ultimate, yeah. the all-sufficient one is in us, and it's bigger, stronger, more powerful than the ruler of this this world. And mm. I think, like you said, we're really good at recognizing the enemy's power. I think sometimes we can even be good at recognizing that God's power is greater than the enemy's yeah. power, but I think we struggle to remember that God's power is with us, is yeah. in us. We kind of remove ourselves from that and just hope things work out for us. And I and I think you're right in saying we all, right? Because yeah. it's that spirit flesh battle that's going on inside of all of us. And I think as, as Christ followers, those of us who are in Christ, they're Christ followers, we want to think that the the power of the flesh is eradicated. Mm-hmm. And it's not. Mm-hmm. Like that there, there's so much evidence of that all throughout the New Testament that that spirit flesh battle goes on even inside. Yeah, because it's not that I question God's power. It's that I question what God's power is doing with me. Well, the next thing I wanted to read is uh, 1 Corinthians First Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing about what happens next, uh, and he's reminding everybody uh, that uh, Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then verse 5, he says, he appeared to Cephas, which is referring to Peter, then to the 12 disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. He's saying after Jesus came back to life, it wasn't just Mary and James, Mary and John and Peter. It was all of the disciples and then 500, more than 500 people all saw him. Some of them are still living is what he says. Go and talk to them. They saw this. So my question is, what's the significance of Jesus appearing to so many people after his resurrection in Christian history? And how do you think this event shaped the beliefs and practices I mean, I think the reality that we have these conversations today, that we build our life on this Bible, that we gather in churches, though they look quite different than first century churches, Mm. like every bit of it stands on the shoulders of 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. And and the significance actually of these three verses is so tremendous. Like the, these three verses and and the and what they are in terms of gospel proclamation, uh, it's the model. Mm-hmm. Like what you see here, because this letter was 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 really early, right? And what you see in the model here in these three verses became the model that we actually still stand on, and and we preach based on you know this this very idea that this resurrection is true because Jesus appeared to these people and the resurrected Christ appeared to Peter. And so we, we stand on Peter's testimony and John's testimony. And then ultimately the resurrected Christ appeared to Paul in, mm-hmm. in a unique way. And so we stand on Paul's testimony. So like the witness of these people is actually uh, the, the, uh, the evidence for or the reason for our faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think it's, I love that he's like, there's some of them are still living. Some have died but someone's still living, you go and talk to them. You go and ask for yourself. 
And I, I just, I love that it's not just, this is not the testimony of just the few or the three of the, the tomb. There were so many people who, who encountered the living, raised Jesus. And I, I uh, you know, all, all throughout history, one of the, the claims that's been made at the Christian faith is, oh, well, he died and his, his followers just decided that's not a good ending, so let's, let's create this lie. And I recently saw a video, you know, as Gen Z just uh, is growing. It was a it was a, a video that they made. Um, I saw, and there it was about this moment. And there it was like, this is what people think might have happened. And it was like a caricature. And it was like, oh yeah, well he died. And they were like, well, what if we said he didn't? And they're like, ooh. And I was like, and then we said this, and then we said that, and they were like, you know, these these lies were perpetuating. They go, and then we'll all die. <laughs> we'll take this to the grave and like, we'll all die for this lie. And it was They'll just, crucify us upside yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was them making fun of like, there's no way. Like you don't die for a lie that you're perpetuating in that way. You die when you've seen a man that you buried come back to life and it's changed you. And it, it was just so funny to me. It's like, I thought exactly of this moment of these 500 people that's like, I've I've not experienced anything like that before. My world, my life is forever changed, and I will tell the world, even if it costs my life. Yeah, I thought about that the other day when I was reading about the stoning of Stephen mm. in Acts. It's like, man, mm-hmm. this guy's not dying for something that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's that is powerful. Mm. Well, it's something I still cling to today. I mean, I've gone um, through seasons of life, and and even currently like just walking through like i was having a conversation with a church member last week and so i've really been thinking about these things um like pretty constantly over the last week like why do we believe what we believe is truth like why why do we believe this i'm just as convinced that this is truth as somebody who believes something completely differently is convinced that that belief is truth and who also might be willing to die for that <clears throat> who also might be willing to die because they are convinced it's truth right um and so i i i mean i have a, a a fairly consistent tension inside me of having to revisit like, okay, let's sit down and think about this. And I like to think through how I would have a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe these things. And I continue to come back to this moment. Mm -hmm. I continue to come back to no historically we know that these events happened. And like we talked about a minute ago, Nothing is significant unless Jesus died and was resurrected, and he did die and was resurrected. And so, that that continues to be the anchor, the rock on which my faith stands. And to be quite honest, I revisit it a lot. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. And I think about the being in that 500, you know, like I think I, I've thought about putting myself in the feeding of the five thousand, or mm-hmm. even in in Acts in the you know the three thousand that were added to the church that day, but to be in the five hundred that experienced the resurrected Jesus, how cool would that be? Mm-hmm. You know, there's the ones that we know, but there's you know about what four hundred fifty that we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> give or take, Marcy and the whole gang. <laughs> 
Uh, last thing I have is First uh, Peter uh, chapter one verses three and four, and this is Peter, the one described right here uh, in this moment, who saw the empty tomb. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, writing. And here's what he said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Saying, because Jesus came back to life, we've been given new life, living hope, and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So my last question is, how does the hope of the empty tomb and resurrection change how we respond to the difficult things in our own lives? The ways that it changes are layered, right? But the most significant layer is the promise of eternity and the promise of uh, being with Christ in heaven for eternity. And so I think that's the, like, that's the most significant layer because that's what shapes our hope even now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love the reminder, hey, <coughs> Jesus came back to life. And uh, I love that he said, uh, not only are we given a new birth, but we have a living, I just love the, the phrase living hope. Mm-hmm. It's like, because Jesus is alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our hope is in him. Uh, and, uh, I just, that's just such a good line. And oh, and unlike Lazarus, he didn't face yeah, a second. Yeah, he didn't die again. Death. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus ain't dying again. Um, he lives. Yeah. I just keep coming back to, um, the promise of his presence. And before we looked at these questions today, this morning, I was thinking about, just the empty tomb a lot like the the empty tomb was just on my mind and and what that might have looked like how that would have felt um putting myself in mary's shoes even in like i came like my mind went to this kind of analogy it's not a perfect analogy but like <laughs> y'all have seen me do it in meetings you know how like you're drinking your cup of coffee and like you're just kind of taking drinks every so often then you go to grab your coffee and then you look in and you realize you've drunk it all like oh man I finished it and I forgot I finished it and it's empty (laughs) and like I thought about like coming to the empty tomb and being Mary and at first being like oh man what did what did they do with his body like they're this is so disrespectful what has happened and then realizing that what I'm looking for is in me. <laughs> like, I drank the coffee. It's in me now. <laughs> wow, like, that's deep. Like, what she's looking for, she's about to have, you know, his spirit within her. <laughs> I have the same experience with a chicken wing bone. You know, I look uh, at the bone and it's, it's like... Where'd it go? Where, oh, it's... <laughs> I've consumed it. So, anyway, I'm going to think about that now. <laughs> that's beautiful, Michelle. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I, uh, again, this is the culmination of the Gospel of John. This is why he's written. He's told us all about the life of Jesus, all that he's done, uh, all of his teachings, all of his miracles, and it really has led to this moment of there is an empty tomb, and it's still empty today. And uh, that is why we have faith in Jesus, and we have a living hope. And I think we should take a field trip. (laughs) To where? 
to the empty tomb. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. I was thinking wing stop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I think also like your words is the culmination of all that John has been teaching us since John one one. Um, the word became flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also love that we're not finished with John yeah. yet because we've still got three more weeks as we look at the, the why and the what and the for who that God did this. Thing, mm-hmm. right? So the resurrection happened and we're going to see, uh, we're going to see why. Mm-hmm. And I love that there are, um, though it, from what we see in the text that these who saw immediately believed, but there are some who don't immediately believe and they have doubts or they're skeptics or um you know one of the weeks we'll talk about uh peter here uh who who uh believes is probably still dealing with a lot of guilt from some big mistakes that they've made and so my hope is these next few weeks as we continue that if that's you that you would also be encouraged as we walk through their stories as well all right guys this is great thanks so much for listening and we would love for you to join us next week see ya